Pastor Ed Taylor says reaching this generation with the gospel starts with a burden for the lost. If we don't care, we won't share. But setting aside all the little things, well, it's hard to share and I don't know what to say and all those, setting all that aside, I find it amazing that we, we can have conversations about all sorts of things, but shy away from the most important conversation you could ever have with a person about their souls. So if we're going to uh, impact this generation with the gospel, we, we, ha- we need to have a burden. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Glad to have you with us and welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Today, we aim to complete our mini-series, Loving the Past, Living the Future. As believers in Christ, we've been commissioned by God to go into the world and preach the gospel. How are you doing in that area? If you're like a lot of Christians, perhaps you've never even led someone to faith in Christ. As we open our Bibles to Acts 17, we're going to receive five things that will help us reach our generation with the gospel. It begins with a burden for the lost. The world needs to hear about Jesus Christ, and we need to tell them about God's love and grace and live out God's love and grace and extend God's love and grace to live it out with them. And so some would say, well, wait a minute, Ed. Here in the United States, everybody knows the gospel. I mean, why would I be sharing the gospel? Everybody's heard the gospel. Not so. Do you know it was actually here in Aurora, coming from Southern California, of course, with the saturation of churches, I, I didn't meet anyone in the time that I was saved that, that would say, I've never heard of the Bible or Jesus, or I've never heard. But when I moved here, and we were being beginning to prepare and plan for gathering together and teaching the Bible and just getting together, we started talking to people at Wendy's and different places we were in because we didn't know anybody. And as we were talking to people and sharing the gospel with them, I met a person for the very first time in my Christian life that did not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was a little shocked because I think in my mind, I thought, well, everybody knows. But here's another thing to consider. People that say they know the gospel may have never heard the real gospel. They never have, maybe never have heard the reality, you know, because there's a lot of fakes out there. Some people think that getting rich and owning a lot of things is actually the gospel. Some, some people think that it's only for to live your best life now. That's the gospel. So, some people think that, you know, God is just a, an eternal, you know, puppet and genie-like character that's just designed to give you everything. That's the gospel. But see, the gospel can be so watered down that people that say they know the gospel really have never heard the gospel. And we need to be able to share with them the true reality of their present condition. I mean, many, many, many people have not heard the real gospel. Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen again, the only solution to the issue of sin and the problem of sin in our lives. He's the only way. Do you have a burden, church? The lost are not our enemies. Those that are struggling in sin are not our enemies. They are ones that Jesus Christ died for, men, women, boys, and girls, that are confused, 
living in a perpetual darkness, living in a perpetual fog, not being able to see what's ahead and not really understanding spiritual things. And I've just found this to be true. If we don't care, we won't share. I mean, if you really don't care, then your life is recognized and and represented by not caring. Setting aside all the little things, well, it's hard to share and I don't know what to say and all those, setting all that aside, I find it amazing that we, we can have conversations about all sorts of things, but shy away from the most important conversation you could ever have with a person about their souls. So if we're going to uh, impact this generation with the gospel, we, we, ha- we need to have a burden. Number two, notice verse 19. Verse 19. It says that they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Now that's an interesting phrase because these guys, man, they, they're, they're, they are thinking about philosophy and issues of life and all kinds of things, eternity. And then what Jesus, what Paul's sharing with them is strange because the gospel is a strange thing to ears. Notice, therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear of some new thing. Now, if you have your Bibles open and you've got a pen, I want you to write next to verse 21, something that you can't miss. So next to verse 21 in Acts 17, write these words, social media. Doesn't this sound like social media to you? Listen, it says these guys, all they did was spend their time in nothing else. Let me change it for today's language. They spent their time in nothing else but either to post or to see some new and hear and read some new thing. You see, it's not just a modern invention to waste our time on nothing. And they had a place in Athens known as Mars Hill where that's what they would do. That's all they would do, just talk about stuff talk about stuff, things that relevant, not relevant, philosophies, ideas. You could say Mars Hill was the place where everybody shared their opinions and argued and got mad and probably walked away unfriending each other at times. (laughs) I don't want this anymore. You see, if we're going to reach this generation, number two, we need to go where the people are. We need to go where the people are. As I mentioned, isolation is not the call of God upon our lives, but to recognize that we have infiltrated this world. We are a part of this world. We live in this culture. We eat in this culture. We shop in this culture. We engage in this culture. It's where we live. That's just the way it is. But do you see yourself, as Jesus said in Matthew 13, as the light of the world, as the salt of the earth? You know, do you see yourself as a flavoring agent in a lost and dying world, or are you just good at seeing the bad things and then pointing your finger at them, knowing full well that many of us were exactly in that same place, many of us, till I was, till I was age 23, that was me. I was the lostness that you see every day. I was the hopeless one. I was the one that, you know, I, I find myself that I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful that God would reach the lost because he reached you. And he reached me. And we are the salt of the earth. We don't want to lose our flavor. We're the light of the world. And you know, lights shine the brightest in very dark places. He says, Jesus says, this is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 15. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. So it gives light 
to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine. You know, this Christmas, I was given a, a present. It was a lamp. And I'll tell you what I didn't do. I didn't take that lamp and put it under our bed, plug it in, and just leave it there. You know what I did? I put that lamp on my desk at my house, and whenever I'm working in my desk in my home office, I just turn it on, and I enjoy it. And it gives the kind of light, that ambient light, that is good for my office and good for my studying. We don't take lamps and shove them under the bed. We display them and use them, and they normally get turned on when? When it gets dark. You see, as believers, it's easy to see the darkness of this world. And whenever you acknowledge darkness, remember you're the light. You're the light. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Ed. We're talking about the gospel and sharing the gospel. That's what you do. The pastor shares the gospel, and we pray for you. Well, thank you very much. I do share the gospel, and I thank you for your prayers. But again, away with the days, and I don't think we've had this, this, this mindset in our church, but in the general church it is, and that is, you know what, that's what we pay the pastor to do. That is not in the Bible. Did you know that? We are the church. All of us share the gospel. That even if I wasn't a pastor, many years I wasn't a pastor. I didn't have that role or responsibility. And you know what I did? The same thing I'm doing now in the gifting and talents that God gave to me. And in your own gifting, in your own talent, your own personality, God is wanting you to go to the people. You already go to the people every day, all day. Jesus was out and about among the sinners. Paul went to the very place where they were talking about things and shared the gospel. And the gospel message is most effective where it's needed the most, among those that need to hear it. Notice verse 22. Verse 22. Then Paul stood up in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens... I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. Now, Paul was taken to the place where all this discussion and debate was going on, and he sees it as an opportunity. Be careful here, okay? He seizes it as an opportunity not to share another one of his opinions on the philosophies of the day or the goings-on of the day. The opportunity was to present the gospel. That was the open door. And so when he comes to this place, he shares the gospel, and he does it in a way that we all must learn. So let me give you number three. The third thing that is important to reach this generation is this. We need to tactfully connect people to Jesus. Tactfully. T-A-C-T. Tact. I have to say, I think you could, some of you can agree, the church of Jesus Christ isn't always known for its tactfulness. Instead, we're often known by our judgmentalism, our hypocrisy, and our ability to find everything wrong in the world while we never really deal with the log that's in our own eye. It's just the way it is. And we need to learn to be tactful. I love someone's definition. I jotted it down. I don't remember where I read it. But here's the definition of tact. The art of making a point without making an enemy. <laughs> I like that. The art of making a point without making an enemy. When sharing the gospel with someone, it's important to build a bridge, not burn one. You know, don't, don't come up to someone in a, uh, that's out walking down the street. Maybe you're at the 16th Street Mall and you're getting dinner. You go, hey, honey, let's go share the gospel. And you look at someone and you say, hey, sinner, come here. 
You drunk? Don't you know how bad things are? You're lost. You're going to hell. But I've got the good news. You know, sometimes you hear a message like this and you're like, okay, I'm ready. I've been, this is resonating with my heart. I'm ready to share the gospel. Please don't go to work tomorrow morning. Stand up on your desk and say, attention sinners. My name is Ed, employee 57832, and God has sent me to you to tell you, you're a bunch of sinners and you know it. And I have the good news. Tact is very important, isn't it? You know what I have found over the years? What I have found is this. I don't really need to spend much time convincing someone they're a sinner. Oh, I don't shy away from it, and I, I don't minimize it, but I don't spend a lot of time convincing. Like, when you, if you would have come to my house with the gospel, I would have told you without any hesitation, I'm a sinner. And you know what I would have said? And I like it that way. I like my life. I would put on some kind of front and say, oh, there's no problem in my life. You know, my wife's in the other room packing, ready to leave. No problem. She's going to leave me for the third time. I've got great life. I've got to go to court next week to face something. I've got a big fine. I don't have my driver's. Oh, yeah, great life. Oh, wonderful. I wake up with headaches all the time, and I don't remember where I was. there. Oh, beautiful life. You don't need to convince me because deep down inside, behind the facade, I was a crushed man. You know what I do need to convince people of, though, is hope. Because sin makes a person hopeless. It, it makes a person feel, and I remember having this feeling, I, at the age of 22, have already ruined my life. It's irrecoverable. I've already got a criminal record. I've already got this. I've got a child as a teenager. Uh, my girlfriend and my wife is leaving me. I've already ruined my life. So what's left? There's no way out. So I know what I chose was just keep doing the same thing. And then addiction gets in there, and now I'm doing more of the same thing and getting more. Like the convincing bridge for someone is not, we, we tend to have so much of a focus on sin in their lives when the focus needs to be the hope of forgiveness. People know that they're sinners. Yeah, there may be a little bit of conversation and there may be a little bit of reflection and we, may, we need to, to be able to communicate to them the repentance of their sin. I'm not saying that we don't do that. But, but man, the real message is there's hope in Jesus Christ that God loved you so much that he sent his own son. Imagine that, you that are hopeless today. Imagine that, though that you th- those of you that think your life is ruined and it's irrecoverable. God has put me in this little church in this little time for whoever hears my voice just to tell you that Jesus Christ can save a soul and your life right now is not irretrievable and it's not hopeless. God loves to restore and he does that through relationship. He can do a work. And so who gets the last laugh? God gets the last laugh because now God and you know God has allowed us to celebrate in just just a few months 30 years of marriage. That's from the Lord. That's his work. 30 years. You're like, man, I didn't think I was going to make it to 30 years of age. But God had another plan. And when you surrender yourself to Jesus Christ, you start tuning into God's plan in your life. God has another plan for you. And you need to surrender to him and give your life to the God who created you. It's interesting how we need to tactfully connect with them. Paul goes right into their culture. Paul quickly and thoroughly and powerfully and tactfully. One thing he didn't do is 
hey guys, I see you're a bunch of idolaters. Don't even worship the one true God. Look at all these statues. What's wrong with you? You even have a statue. You don't even know who the God is. You guys are messed up. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He meets them. He says, hey, I can see you guys are pretty religious. I can see that you really do care about worship. And then I found this one idol. It says to the unknown God. And then the interaction between God and Paul led him to share, hey, let me tell you about the one you don't know. You got identification, all these little idols. Let me tell you about the one you don't know. And he begins to share with them. I mean, it's so beautiful. May the Lord help us to do that. He uses the situation to build a bridge. Notice verse 24 now. God who made the world and everything in it, here's his message. Starts at creation. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. He gives to all life, breath, and all things, verse 26. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are his offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. He goes right into the culture and relates to them, which leads us to the fourth point. And that's this. In our gospel presentation, in our church life, in our lives in general, if we're going to reach this generation, we must be culturally relevant to those that are in front of us. We must be relevant. There's no question about it. We can't be irrelevant with the gospel. We need to be relevant to the people that are in front of us. Now, that's a big buzzword today, so let me just clarify for you that when I use the word relevant, I don't mean to water down the gospel. I don't mean to somehow change the message. Listen, let me be crystal clear with you. Never mess with the message. Never. The message never changes. It is the power of God unto salvation. Never mess with the message. But the methods of delivery must change. We must be relevant. Like today, if you were here today and you'd say, I want to be a world missionary, and you're going to a, to a place around the world, part of your training would be for you to learn the culture. We want you to learn the culture. You're going to be taking the gospel to a culture, and in order to build a bridge, you want to know where you're going. And so part of the training is learn the culture. As a matter of fact, if you're going to another country that speaks another language, we're going to tell you to what? Learn the language. Well, it's too bad that we don't consider ourselves missionaries in our own culture, because we are. Do you know there are two countries today that once the United States sent massive amounts of missionaries to, do you know those two countries today send more missionaries to the U.S. than we do to them? China and South Korea. China and South Korea, they pray for us. There are Chinese and South Koreans right now in their church services praying for us and our culture and our churches to reach this world with the gospel. To me, that's encouraging. But it's also discouraging at the same time because we live in this culture. We know Jesus Christ and we get so easily distracted from the main thing. We've got to be culturally relevant. And as a church, we're committed to it. We are committed 
to learning. Notice what Paul did. He quoted one of the poets, one of their poets. He was reading what they were reading, involved in what they were involved in. Now, I have to say, in being involved in the culture, number one, you're already in it. You're already in the culture. You already work in this environment. You already shop in this environment. I'm not advocating any type of sin. Remember, we'll do anything short of sin. And so I've drawn lines in my own life. I don't have to experience every sin in the world in order to understand the brokenness of sin. So I'm not advocating that. But the reality is, is that the greatest offenders of this issue, that the people that tend to be the most irrelevant with the Bible and the gospel, happen to be men like me, pastors who take the Bible that's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, that, let me tell you, is the absolute most relevant book on the planet Earth, speaking to every single generation. There are pastors today that, in their Bible studies, are answering questions that nobody's asking, or answering questions from generations ago. And as you pray for us, and those of us that stand in the pulpit, pray that we're relevant. Pray that we don't make this book boring, but make it even come more alive to the application in your life. We've got to be relevant. Calvary here, we are committed to this. And we have been from the beginning. And so don't let any of the changes distract you. You've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And we learn the main thing that is the main thing is to passionately pursue Jesus Christ. Or what Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We must be relevant. It's important to take the gospel and effectively weave it into the culture that we're seeking to reach. We've been learning how to reach our generation with the gospel today on Abounding Grace. And with that, we've completed our series, Loving the Past, Living the Future. If you missed any part of the study from Pastor Ed Taylor or would just like to hear it again, come by our website, calvaryaurora.org. Well, Pastor Ed, we have certainly been encouraged here in recent weeks by the large volume of positive feedback from our listeners. And of course, all glory goes to God for anything good that comes from this ministry. So this week, we've decided to share some of the letters and emails that have come in. I'll hand things over to you now so you can read the first. Well, thanks, Larry. I'm always encouraged to hear from those that are listening in to Abounding Grace. And I want to encourage you, please let us know what God is doing in your life. Please let us know how God is using this radio ministry. It will encourage the many people behind the scenes that work so hard to get Abounding Grace ready and produced and distributed and out on the air. And today I want to start with one from Amarillo, Texas. We received a note that said, I just want to thank you for your wonderful ministries. Always opens my mind and heart and reaches into my soul to refuel the spiritual light that's within me. And I'm very grateful to listen to you online, and I'm, I'm happy to be someone that can contribute and support the ministry. So thank you for your ministry. And I want to say thank you for partnering with us, and we're very, very grateful. These notes and letters really encourage us and remind us that God is using this little church on the corner of Hampton Avenue and Biscay in the southeast portion of Aurora, Colorado, to minister the gospel throughout the country and even around the world. So thank you guys listening in Amarillo, Texas. 
We love it when a listener takes the time to call or write, as it lets us know what God is doing through this ministry. If you'd like to share what He's been doing in your life, please email us at info at calvaryaurora.org. That's info at calvaryaurora.org. We look forward to hearing from you. As you know, Valentine's Day falls within the month of February, and we picked out a marriage-strengthening book for you this month. It's called Married and How to Stay That Way. This would be an excellent book to read with your spouse or even read prior to getting married. It contains biblical tools to help heal and strengthen your marriage relationship. You'll not only learn to identify the problems, but apply practical solutions found in God's Word. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Again, it's called Married and How to Stay That Way. Please remember, it's your financial support that allows us to bring the teaching of God's Word to this station every day. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. You can also write to Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Tomorrow on Abounding Grace, we'll return to Pastor Ed Taylor's series in 2 Kings. Be encouraged to love your enemies as you join us Tuesday. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.